You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Idealism and the desire to help people is often an overarching view of many young people fresh out of school and ready to contribute to the world. For Adrian Oliveira, my guest today, she saw a career as a special education teacher as her chance to contribute. Adrian reflects on her time working in three different schools in three different states and the dramatic differences she found in each district. All these experiences gave her a unique perspective after her son was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Suddenly, Adrian was now a parent at an IEP instead of as a teacher. Today, Adrian works as an advocate for children with special needs, combining her experience as a special education teacher and parent to help others. Enjoy the conversation. Adrian Oliveira, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, and especially wonderful because in some ways, I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it, but you work on the other side of the table to a parent. You're of a background, you originally were a special education teacher, and you were that teacher who was taking care of my son, you know, when he was younger, for example, and a lot of people who are listening to kids. And I think a lot of people want to know, why do people like you get interested in special education? Why did you go into it in the first place? For me, I remember being in college and thinking, I want to make a difference. I want my job, my career um, to be impactful and and to make a difference for somebody's life. Um, I applied for a program called Miami Teaching Fellows, um, and Mm -hmm. I was part of the first cohort. And um, during that time, I selected to become a special education teacher and went through the training that program and um, was licensed to teach in the state of Florida. And for me, it just, again, I really, you know, as a young person, I just wanted my job to help others. And I just, I really felt like in the United States, you know, there's such a huge discrepancy with our educational system. Mm -hmm. And why is it in certain areas, kids have good quality education in the public schools, but then other areas they don't. And, and that's just not fair. You know, they're, they're seeking teachers, qualified teachers, and there's just not enough teachers in these areas where people don't want to work. And, uh, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make, make a difference, right? Try to save the world. <laughs> so um, that's, that's, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. Well, I mean, the idealism of youth is always awesome. So you had that attitude going in. And then when you became a special education teacher, maybe first what grades were you focused on or teaching and were you able to make an impact? Did you feel like you could change the world or that you were part of the world? Um, so I started off in middle school and that was kind of where I've always been. So, um, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And, um, I was, it was a really difficult area. I was in an area, um, Mm -hmm. it was, it was a low income and it was just a very rough area for me. Um, you know, one, I had moved to a completely different state. I'd never left California and then a new language, a new culture. And then, you know, the kids, the kids definitely try, try to scare me a little bit. Um, (laughs) and I just had a lot of different feedback. You know, I had the training that I had and then I had 
the teachers in the school telling me something else, like how to be, you know, how to act in the classroom, how to control your classroom and, okay. and just so much different advice from like all over. And it was, it was really confusing and I didn't know how to be or who to be. Um, you know, I had huge, you know, a, a just a huge population to serve. Um, so I don't know. I, it was just a, it was, you know, obviously looking back, I would do things differently that those first, you know, two years teaching. Um, but it was tough and, um, I don't know. I wanted to make a difference. I hope mm-hmm. I did. I just, I was still trying to figure out who I was as a teacher and like what, how to behave and what strategies to use. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, I had so much coming from all over and, uh, it was a learning experience for me because it, it required a lot of reflection, uh-huh. um, on moving forward. So, uh, I don't know. It was definitely very memorable and, uh, a time I'll never forget it. It was hard. I remember crying in my car, you know, many times after school and just trying to, (laughs) trying to figure out like how to get through the day. You know, it was, it was, there was many tough days. So, um, well, it's, it sounds like you were, but I'm glad I went through it. Yeah. It sounds like maybe you were in a low income district. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And so would you say you had a lot of people on your caseload? Like, what does that look like? I I think people should understand what that means to have a large caseload. I don't know if that means, I mean, I don't, but perhaps people listening don't know whether that means two or 200 kids. Right. So those first few years I had sixth through eighth grade and it was all push in. So I was in a math class or history Mm -hmm. class. I mean, there was no, like, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, easy. So I'm jumping from different grade levels and different content areas. Right. And I had like a cart, like a little suitcase, and I was just going from <laughs> classroom to classroom. So I had, yeah, I I, I want to say like maybe 15 kids that I would see, I would have to see every day, and I'm trying to service them in by pushing into these classrooms. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the same time, you don't want them to be uncomfortable you know, the kids don't like you because you're already kind of singling them out and talking to them and they don't want to be different at this age. So, you know, you had pushback from the kids, like, who's this lady coming here? I don't want to talk to you. I don't need your help, you know? And then I have to try to understand the content that's happening because (laughs) again, I'm in all grade levels, all content. I mean, I don't know. It's tough. And then, um, we had two, um, at that school, we had two um, leads. So they uh-huh. actually ran IEP meetings for us. So at that time, I would write the goals for the kids and um, submit it to them. And they did the rest of the paperwork, which that in itself is very time consuming. But they just wanted me to go in and make sure that the hours are served for the children. Um, but it, it was pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sounds like a situation where you have somebody who's smart, idealistic, but doesn't necessarily get the support that would be needed to have a realistically positive right. or best outcome possible for these kids. And, and this is something that parents sometimes I think have to understand that the teacher there wants to help. And, you know, teachers go into teaching for the reasons that you talk about, but the, the system isn't always designed to make it easy or possible sometimes. Correct. And then you also have pushback from the teachers. I mean, you have veteran teachers and they're told, Hey, you know, you need to make space for this new teacher. She comes in these periods 
And many of them were like, I don't want you in my classroom. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. And so then you're trying to balance that relationship with these teachers, right? (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. <laughs> well, that's one way to put it. I bet you're, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because you are managing relationships between two, two different groups, disparate groups, and some, you, you'll know which teachers like to have you there and which ones are going to give you a grief, right? Just like, you know, what the right. kids, I guess. Correct. All right. So maybe exactly. you, you brought up the IEP. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. So, you know, if I'm a parent and I'm new to the IEP, and there's a lot of people that, well, you know, the OT is going to write some goals, the speech therapist, the teacher, et cetera. Like, how much influence do you have on that IEP? And when you see an IEP, how realistic is it that you're actually going to be able to fulfill those goals? So it's different. So like I mentioned, um, I submitted goals um, as a special ed teacher, and they had people at that school who wrote the IEP. Um And it was similar when I taught in Virginia. I wrote the goals for my students, and we had someone, um, the department chair, who would write the IEPs for us. In California, on the other hand, I wrote all the IEPs myself. So um, you collect the goals. So if you do have OT or you do have speech, you would collect the goals from the people that are servicing the child and put it in the IEP. Um, The purpose is to have these realistic goals. I mean, you want the kids, you, you're measuring where they are right now and you're trying to attain something that, you know, is aligned to that grade level, the common core, and you're hoping that they achieve it or are close to achieving it by the end of the school year. I mean, they, I, I don't know. For me, they, they seem realistic, the goals that I've written mm-hmm. and the goals that other people have written. And it's not easy writing goals. I mean, there are workshops and webinars and meetings just on goal writing. It is not easy. You know, there's a specific way that it has to be written, a a specific way that it needs to be measured. Um, And it's, you know, it's kind of like you have to do it for a while to, to get used to the way that a goal needs to be written, a measurable goal. So, uh, I don't know. So my goal as a teacher was to make sure that it was, it was attainable, you know, and, and we definitely try our best that we are, you know, I don't know, working on those goals daily and weekly. And, and that's through the help with the gen ed teacher. I mean, it's everybody's support to make that happen. It's not like one person. So it's like checking in with a teacher. Okay. Is it, is the student doing X, Y, and Z, you know, this is on their goal. Okay. We're doing it through writing a report or reading a novel or whatever. And maybe in, in resource, if you know, you have resource in California or other States, mm-hmm. um, okay, let's read books that are on that level that the child can read and, and trying to reach, reach that goal. So, um, it's a process. <laughs> so you, you've worked in, from what I'm hearing, at least three different districts, Florida, uh, Virginia, which we talked before the show, it you t- turned out to go or to work at the school that I went to middle school at for a year, which is pretty funny. And then California. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you had mentioned that you thought the Fairfax County in Virginia, uh, probably had the best program that you had seen. And so Maybe then you could describe what does a best or good program look like from a special education teacher's point of view? Uh, so when I taught in Fairfax County, um, you know, I, we weren't, I guess I don't want to say money was no issue, but they mm-hmm. used 
however they manage their funding into the schools, we were not short-staffed. You know, we had plenty of staff, which I think is number one, to make it successful for the teachers and the kids. You know, for them at the time, we had the No Child Left Behind Act, and the teachers needed to be highly qualified. And mm-hmm. in that, each special education teacher was qualified in a content area. So you had a special education teacher that's qualified in history, and they only taught, you know, sixth grade history. Okay. You had a seventh, eighth grade. Unlike Florida, where you, were, where you were doing math, and science, so, history, you were doing it all in right. Florida. Okay, I see. I'm, right. I'm seeing the benefit already. <laughs> right, exactly. You're not being pushed in. You're not running around on a mobile car, you know, trying to get to all these kids. Each teacher has their own classroom, their own desk, their own same content area. Sometimes a teacher might teach two content areas like I did. Uh I taught math, but then I would teach like a basic skills class or something, you know, organization and things like that. But you taught that same content through the school day. So you're not, you know, you're not stressing, oh, no, I have the seventh grade, then a sixth grade, then an eighth grade. Math, English, history, it's the same thing. You're qualified in that content area. You have, like I said, 10 kids or less each period, and you have a paraprofessional in that classroom. Not only that, we had smart boards, tablets. We had just whatever resources we wanted, mm-hmm. we got it. And this is a public school system. Okay. It, I mean, books, just it was just so quick. I requested something, and it came in. And like I said, I don't know how they manage their funding and how they <laughs> use their, their money, but it was just a smooth sailing. I had maybe eight kids, eight to nine kids on my caseload. Um, we had a department chair and like I said, I submitted the goals for that content area to the department chair and she would, um, run the meetings. I would be present in the meetings, but she would run the meetings. Um, I mean, you weren't stressed. You weren't like crammed with, you know, when I was in California, I would have, um, maybe 15 to 16 kids on a caseload to 20. (laughs) (laughs) So going from nine kids to 20, um, you can see now I'm working through my prep. I'm working after school. I'm just trying to like push through to get what I need done through the day where, you know, you have time, you have time to prep and grade and create content for the kids. And it's just, you're not stressed as a teacher. You can go into work and it's just, well, it's I don't fun. Say then, it, then, for you, then it's fun and rewarding, right? Like you can actually enjoy the job. Uh, the burnout must right. be high, must be high in those districts. Right. I imagine the exactly. burnout in There's Florida no burnout. is so different. You know, okay. you have exactly, exactly. So yeah, there was no burnout. I mean, you had teachers there who had been there for years. I mean, twenty, thirty years because, like you said, it's enjoyable. It's not stress. There's no burnout. They provide it what you need it to do your job. It's enjoyable. Um, so it was, it was a definitely a different experience coming from Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember the first day I almost cried of happiness because <laughs> I couldn't believe how much stuff they gave me. I mean, I was using the, um, in Florida, there was only one computer lab okay. for the entire school. Uh. Um, and it was like the old school computers. And then, you know, to I was writing my notes on the overhead and I had chalk. And then I go into Fairfax County and they're like, here's a smart board. You don't know how to use a smart board. <laughs> you know, here's Don't you have any chalk? Tablet. Yeah. Here's all of this stuff. 
Right. I'm like, chalk? I don't, I mean, it was just so shocking. I couldn't, and then here we go. You know, this is why I went to teaching. Like, these are both public schools. And, you know, again, the discrepancy is just so huge. Uh, You know, I don't know. Well, like, one of the takeaways I I think I noticed from our conversation just personally is that, like, for us, we... Our son, uh, who has autism, went to school in Cherry Creek School Districts in Colorado, near Denver, Colorado. And they had a lot of funding, sounds like similar to Fairfax County. And when he would meet with the teachers, they kind of seemed to like the job. So it seems like if you can and you have that ability to put yourself in a district where you probably is a well-funded district, and then if you meet some of the teachers and they seem to be into it, then that's probably a good sign. (laughs) Right, right. Now, do you mind if we, I thought we'd take a little bit of a turn here? So, you know, you, you were a special education teacher, and then you decided to have a family, and then you, your son Nathan uh, was diagnosed with CP, cerebral palsy, and suddenly that puts you in a different position. Now you're suddenly the parent uh, going in and having that IEP meeting. So I know for my wife and I, we were teachers, not special education teachers, at least not at the time. And so we felt like we had some skills going in. But what was it like for you to suddenly be on the parent side? Um, I know we talked earlier, but you know, for me, uh, I, I was in shock. Um, like uh, I mentioned, I just, you know, that my son has an IP, you know, I, I was like, what, what? <laughs> all my knowledge went out the door. I'm like, what, what does this mean? What do I do? Where do I go? Um, and just trying to like focus. Okay. And just like calming myself. And like I said, it took a, a couple of months for me to just calm down a little bit and then, okay, let's start from the beginning. And, I actually reached out to some of my coworkers, colleagues, and, you know, explained my situation, and, and they really helped and guided me and just offered some support and encouraging words, which I just really needed um, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, you want the best for your, your child, and, and when you see that, you know, there might be a challenge, it's just, uh, you know, it just is heartbreaking, and um, so from that, just you know, getting the therapy and meeting with the doctors and just um, wanting the best. And so when we transitioned um, in the state of California, we uh, were in CCS and regional center. Mm -hmm. So transitioning from that into the preschools, um, being prepared. And and I'm so grateful. I had uh, many knowledgeable colleagues and friends um, who supported me in the process, but sitting there in the IEP meeting, and then everyone's looking at me, <laughs> you know, the parent comes in <laughs> um, versus when, you know, you're looking at the parent and you, you know, okay, here we go. Another meeting, but <clears throat> right, sorry, right, right. I'm a little emotional, but no, that's okay. <clears throat> we all cry through these things. I've done it a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think for me, I knew what I wanted. I knew what it needed to be done to make sure, you know, that he received the best education. And the thing that was shocking for me was that the district had lied to me about um, the IEP and that, you know, he just automatically could not receive one because he was already getting services through another public agency. And Mm -hmm. um, I was just, from that minute, I just turned and I was like, what is going on? Why are they lying to me? This is what I'm thinking in my head during the meeting. Just so matter of fact, like this is how it is, you know, and I know that they're swamped because I'm a teacher myself, right? So right, I know that they're right. swamped and they're caseloaded. Were you still teaching? We don't want another kid in there. Were you still teaching at that time or had you just... Yes. Oh, so you were... Okay, so you were in another district. Like, you're like, wait a minute. I know what's going on. Yes. I wasn't... Right. Okay. Got it. So, um, 
that's what kind of just triggered this for me was that I was very livid and angry that they were lying to me and didn't want to, you know, test my child. And and I ended up having to write a letter to director of special education. Like this is my (laughs) official notice that I want my son tested, please for special education because they were denying it already um, Mm -hmm. without even, you know, any, anything. So I, I was like, you know what, if I were not in the field and I was just a parent coming in, you know, and they tell me this, I would think, okay, this is how it is. Like the door's closed. You know, he doesn't qualify. They said no, but that's not, that's not the truth. They were lying. Um, and so from that point I decided, you know, I also want to do something to help parents because this isn't right. And it just ignited another fire inside of me. So sure. well, let, let's I went about, from like saving yeah, the world. Let's, right? let, let's talk about okay. that. I mean, yeah. so you, you're the young person saving the world. You've worked in three different districts. You have children of your own. Suddenly your child is in the system. And now you've gone to another step beyond. So what are you doing nowadays? I mean, you've moved into advocacy. And talk a little bit about that decision to make that change. Right. Yeah. So actually just this year, I transitioned to advocacy um, to become an educational consultant and advocate for parents Mm -hmm. um, because exactly for this reason, because it's confusing and the district says things and they might do something else or they don't respond to your emails or they put a wall up and you're blocked and what you're asking for isn't happening. And they lie to you and it's like, you know, they need help because it's, it's a lot of uh, words and things that they say that it is confusing. If you're not used to this like sure. language, yeah. um, it is confusing and overwhelming and you're busy and you're working and you're taking care of your family <laughs> and it's just, it's very stressful, you know? Um, so I decided, yes, like I want to help parents. Like I want to be a source, a contact as much as I can Um, if I can't do what is needed, I would definitely refer them to somebody who can, because like I said, it's not fair, you know, and, um, parents need, need help. And, uh, and that's what started it because of my son and and what had happened to me. (laughs) So, so here I am. (laughs) And so how do you like the transition? I mean, there's other benefits too, because you get to spend more time with your family. I'm sure that was part of some of it. How do you, how do you like the transition? What's it like to be, I mean, you're, you're kind of jumping both sides of the fence back and forth. I don't know. What's it, what's it like? Um, you know, it is different. I mean, yes, there's the whole school setting and the IEP, but there's also the legal side. And for me, that's a new thing. That's a new thing for me to learn and a new thing to understand. Um, you know, I guess that piece of it, because usually, you know, if something isn't followed, then it's like, taken on to, you know, the director or the program supervisor when it gets past, you know, something I can't, if I had a kid on my caseload and something was happening back and forth, mm-hmm. parents were refusing to sign and there's, you know, it, it gets, t- it gets handled by somebody else. So, you know, for me now I'm going, pursuing that, you know, my goal is to make things smooth. We're all on a team, you know, it, it shouldn't be like, one against another. I think we all care about this kid. We should all be working together to help this student because I know as a teacher, that's all I wanted to do. And I'm sure the teachers are in the same situation. They're, they're just trying their best. And, you know, maybe there's some type of misunderstanding, but 
I want us, my goal is for us to be all be on the same page. Um, and let's do the best we can and work together um, and bring the parents in and just have everyone working together. So the kid has a, a successful school year. Um, so it, I've been able to, to start that and um, I'm, I'm, you know, working and, and yeah, it's new. There's some things that, you know, it's different now this time I'm advocating for the parents and like, okay, this is what we need done. You know, this isn't clear X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. So because I know it, I know what forms and paperwork needs to be completed. You know, that, that helps the knowledge of this and that, and we have these timelines and, um, so far it's, it's been, it's been good, a very good experience. Um, and I, I feel happy that I'm I'm able to help help these families and in in the school district too because I think they feel like these parents you know they don't we're trying to do this and you know so there's just miscommunication I think on both ends and just kind of also being like that mediator in the middle um, it just makes it smooth sure. for everybody. All right, well we're we're kind of heading towards the end of our time here, so I want to ask you a final question. Uh, I didn't prepare you for this, so we'll put you on the spot here a little bit. It's not too bad. So let's say you're in an elevator, right? And you got like 90 seconds and, uh, somehow a parent looks over and says, you, you see, it's a parent, we're on the way to an IEP meeting or getting prepared for one or whatever. And what would you tell a parent? What do you think a parent should know in like 90 seconds or less? What's some of the most important information or necessarily or beliefs or whatever that a parent could gain or benefit from? by talking to you for 90 seconds, what would you tell I think for one is just um, being prepared. So for example, if it's a triangle, making sure you have your reports that were done on your child, you know, it should be like five days before the meeting and reading through them and trying to understand everything and seeking advice outside if you don't understand. Um, And I think understanding your child's goals and, like you, like we talked about, are these attainable goals? Are they realistic goals for my child? Mm-hmm. Are they appropriate goals? You know, asking those types of questions. And again, you know, talking to the gen ed teachers, like is my son or daughter like able to, to do this or even close to, and maybe changing those goals, you know? And, and I think looking at the big picture, like what is your, your, the goal for your child after they graduate? to have a job, to go to college, you know, setting like long-term goals for them too, you know, um, I would say. So like being prepared for a meeting and then thinking like big picture and, and kind of focusing on that, you know, through the meeting and, and not being afraid to speak up. You know, many times I'm in meetings with the parents and, mm-hmm. and they're quiet or they, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and don't feel like you have to sign. You don't have to sign anything <laughs> if you're unsure. Oh, I would say that's it. <laughs> okay, well, Adrian, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.